0: Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome along to episode 13 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Thank you, listener, for once again giving up your time for us. Making it all worthwhile is our esteemed panel, this week consisting of Digital Bulletin CEO Romilly Broad. Hello. And a very special guest, Martin Stevenson from Blue Prism. Good morning, Ben. It's great to have you on, Martin. Now, Martin is head of CMT, EMEA, for Blue Prism. Obviously, Blue Prism being one of the leading providers of robotic process automation software and other snazzy automation technologies. Martin, maybe tell us a bit more about what head of CMT, EMEA, means in practice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so so CMT stands for uh, comms, media and technology. So basically, I'm the industry lead in Blue Prism in Europe, Middle East and Africa, uh, responsible for all of our business in those industries.
1: Fantastic. So Martin is here for a reason. He and Blue Prism were heavily involved in our digital bulletin case study with Telefonica Spain and we're going to chat all about it on today's pod. We also have an exclusive interview with Glasswall's Luke Roberta on a hot trend in enterprise security. But before all of that, here's some news. This month in the tech world, COVID-19 has continued to bite. The organisers of Mobile World Congress announced that next year's event will be pushed back to late June. It was due to take place in March. Obviously, MWC was cancelled completely this year. I really feel for those events companies with all the uncertainty around at the moment. Elsewhere, Google's long wait goes on to have its acquisition of Fitbit rubber stamped. EU antitrust regulators have promised to make the decision at the beginning of next year. Antitrust certainly seems to be the byword in technology right now. Also this month, we have seen NVIDIA make yet more aggressive moves. This time it has promised to revolutionize the processing capabilities of data centers with its new chipsets. If you want to hear us debate NVIDIA's proposed acquisition of ARM, then listen in to last month's episode of the Digital Bulletin podcast. In the last few weeks, we have also seen Twilio agree a $3.2 billion deal to buy data management specialist segment. Nokia shift its entire IT infrastructure onto Google's cloud. And John McAfee arrested in Spain on charges of US tax evasion. That's an interesting one to finish on. Anyway, listener, you can get the original reporting on those stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But now let's get into it. And for this month's case study review, we're going to explore our project with Telefonica Spain, Now, we had the opportunity to interview Javier Magdalena-Penilla, Pena, is overseeing a sizable automation program at the telecoms giant. As we know, Martin has joined us to talk about Blue Prism's role as a supporting partner for Telefonica. But first, let's hear from Javier himself. Now, the program stretches across many areas of Telefonica Spain's business. But as Javier explains in this clip, a lot of the focus so far has been on customer care in the company's B2B and B2C divisions
2: we need to put complexity out of the relationship with the customer we have a very clear standard for quality we are very very focused on the quality and the customer relation and everything that we can do reducing times uh, reduce errors uh, have a clear understanding of our customers put the people in really added value uh, tasks, eliminate low value added tasks. so this is why we put Uh, a lot of efforts in the customer care areas.
1: Martin, I'm going to bring you in here just to add a little more context. First of all, maybe start by giving our listeners an idea as to the the kind of scale Telefonica operates at in Spain, both in the consumer and enterprise spaces.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, so Telefonica uh, de España is the largest company within the Telefonica group. Um, and Telefonica Group is a global telco, uh, I think they're the sixth largest uh, by number of subscribers and by revenue globally. And in Spain, um, Telefonica de España is um, obviously the largest telco, they have more than 60% market share of, of, of uh, subscribers, um, both landline and mobile. Um, they're also, so the largest telco, but they're also the second largest company in Spain. Um, and they've been around knocking on for a hundred years. Um, in terms of their B2B and B2C business, if we start with B2B, um, they are already a sizable technology company. They don't see themselves as a telco. They see themselves as a, as a tech company. Um, and they're, um, in the top five in terms of, um, technology provider technology providers in in Spain um, revenues around about three billion euro obviously all these numbers are public domain um, but uh, you know that's a sizable company And of that three billion euro plus uh, revenue um, only uh, only one billion approximately comes from telephony the rest of it comes from uh, services and um, uh, and products that they supply uh, to their Uh, Business clients, and again, they segment that into small and medium enterprise um, and uh, large enterprises. Um, In terms of B2C, uh, I mentioned they're the largest uh, provider of of, of telephony to consumers, um, both uh, uh, fixed and mobile. Um, The numbers that interest me around Telefonica Spain. Is, um, is well, they have over a hundred million uh, customers. By the way, they um, their contact centres at peak volume, dealing with more than fifty thousand calls an hour, mm-hmm. um, which is you know huge, um, huge by anybody's um, imagination. Um, and they're dealing with those calls um, from a number of contact centres across Spain, um, nearly thirty and they um they have more than 6000 contact center agents so you can see this is um this is very large scale um business and um uh, also very large scale responsibility to keep yep. uh, to keep spain talking
1: yeah absolutely before we get into the detail of the kind of the automation program that the story is really about rom i'm going to bring you in you in here i mean this kind of you know telling telling a story about a company of this size and this operation and and of this importance to a country like spain this this is like a a big thing for digital bulletin, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're fortunate in that we we get to spend quite a lot of time with with folks operating at the at the coalface of change in in really big organisations where you might be spending a lot of time talking about technology, but really what you're talking about is the lives that uh, that 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 technology ultimately impacts now. Obviously you think about that in the first instance by thinking about the the consumers, the customers, the the people who are provided services by those companies. But really, we're talking about how leaders in those organizations can engineer change using technology for thousands, often tens of thousands of people, I think six thousand people just in the in the contact centers there, Martin was saying. And that's that's substantial. The happiness and the productivity of those people is critical to companies like Telefonica um, succeeding, particularly when under stress like they are right now. And RPA is is one ingredient of of a complex and really difficult and very expensive uh, process to to drive these organisations forward positively. Yeah, it's um it's fascinating that we get to um, you know that we get to Spend a lot of time with these folks and understanding just how they do that, and it's always about people, really. In the end, I know that Blue Prism is yeah, yeah. a technology company, but in the end, um, that's a means to an end, and the end is, you know, the the, the well being and the happiness and the productivity and all the rest of it of, of actual people. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's that's a point that Javier stresses in the case study as well. You know, a lot, a lot of the focus did come onto culture and people, and we're going to move on to that in a minute. But Martin, bringing you back in here that the automation program itself, obviously we've established Telefonica Spain, the size of Telefonica Spain's um, operations. Just just how ambitious, given your experience and Blue Prism's experience of automation programs, how ambitious was this initiative from Telefonica Spain?
0: Well, I I think it's fair to say that it was highly ambitious. Um, And when you look at the, not just the scale, but also the pace at which... Telefonica Spain decided they wanted to transform the contact center operations in both B2C and B2B. Um, it, it's kind of unprecedented. You you know, you know would have looked at this uh, in previous times and said, well, it's going to take five years and cost I don't know, half a billion euros or something like that. Um, they wanted to, uh, to get these programs implemented and delivering value and returning ROI within the year. Um, and so the combination of the scale and the pace have made it really um, a, a combined the two projects, made it a program that's that's highly ambitious. Um, we took a kind of uh, a sense check of um, digital transformation projects um, around the world and, and just how ambitious this was. And we spoke to a number of companies um, who we all we all know know about these things because generally speaking they get to implement them so we talked to a number of the advisory firms and a number of the uh big systems integrators um but we also spoke to a number of industry analysts and all of them were united in in their feedback that this is probably the largest digital transformation project in the world um that's been delivered to date Um, and that's, that's a, I think, quite quite insightful um, and also a little bit um, harrowing where at the beginning, when you're looking at that and saying, OK, well, it's the biggest ever. There's, you know, something at this scale and more importantly, at this pace hasn't been done before. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're right at the heart of it. So.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe, Martin, you can you can tell us a bit more about the kind of role Blue Prism has fulfilled in this partnership and maybe bring in EY into it as well, because I know mm. you and EY and, and Telefonica very much kind of working as one on this project.
0: Uh, yeah, so so um, Telefonica Group said to all of the Telefonica companies, we want you to implement a digital transformation program in year and get results in year. You can Pick the area of business that you want to focus on. We're not going to mandate that because, you know, what Brazil is challenged with is different to what Spain is challenged with. is different to what UK is challenged with. So you decide what you're going to focus on, but basically focus on it, get it done, get in your ROI. Um, and uh, Technology Global had, had, had looked at um, the role of different types of technologies, the role that they can play in helping to deliver digital transformation so so our role is as part of the, if you're not the, the technology platform to deliver digital transformation um, so that's not to say we're the only platform you know this is a combination of of different tools and techniques different technologies that when you put it all together Um, you know, whether it be IVR, uh, web services, microservices, chatbots, all of these different technologies. Um, And what we bring, which is intelligent automation, when you bring all of that together, that's how you deliver uh, an end-to-end digital transformation program. So our role is really to, um, to look at all of the processes that a company operates today and to help them look at which processes can, should we continue to do, but do much faster with no errors and so forth? So which processes do we automate? Number two, which, which processes do we change? Do we simplify, then automate? And which processes do we stop doing? You know which, one, which processes do we do because we've done them for 30, 40, 50 years, but they had no value? So our role in digital transformation is to provide the automation layer to bring about all of that process simplification that process automation uh, and so forth bringing in technologies like ai machine learning um, and and others uh, and knitting it all together uh, and helping to deliver the outcomes in a very rapid time frame and the way we do that is our technology uh, is non-invasive, so you don't have to write lots of APIs and so forth. You know, it's not a big IT program. We will deal with whatever interfaces you have today. Our technology is able to deal with them as they are today, and provide that automation or if you like re-automation layer that I just described. Provide that, and that that's what makes it possible to deliver a transformative program significant pace. In the case of Telefonica, Spain, their B2B program delivered in six months uh, and delivered huge savings in operating costs, by the way. I mean, north of 30% operating costs in the savings in the first six months. Um, You know, these are are massive, uh, this is a massive impact, Um, but doing it in the first six months, that was what was required and that was the outcome they achieved. In B2C, you know, the contact centers and so forth, they were able to deliver their new transform solution that all the contact center agents are using for handling all of the calls coming into telefonica spain they were able to deliver that in 12 months mm. um, which is you know unprecedented um but they did it
1: yeah yeah and rom for, for those of us on the on the outside looking in at this kind of thing it's mm. that speed isn't it that especially when you're dealing with a, a project of this magnitude, it's that speed that is really difficult to imagine how you actually manage to achieve that. And as Martin said, this is a very complex transformation. It's not just, you know, one or two technologies, it's bringing in a, a number of different tools and, and practices. And so to achieve these things at the the pace that we're, we're speaking about here is, is something really quite astonishing, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's a bit mad really, isn't it? And I, th- I think Javier spoke about this, um, in the interview so if you know if you go and read the 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 meat of of the article that we've got on our website right now you can hear you know read him talking about this the uh, i think i obviously i'm a layman i'm on the outside but it seems to me like the key ingredient for Telefonica has been um in achieving that pace and that scale has been the the executive level leadership and um momentum that was provided on that sense. I mean, we, we write about digital transformation a lot. And one of the things that people talk about a lot is how often digital transformation initiatives, initiatives fail. And mm-hmm. normally they fail because there isn't that kind of um, systemic drive from top to bottom throughout the hierarchy of an organization led from the top that's really providing that kind of drive and momentum and clarity of vision. Um, to make to make it succeed, particularly when it gets to the kind of the thorny change management end of things, when you you put a lot of stuff in place, and then you've got to get the fleshy emotional bags of flesh at the at the end of the process to actually use this stuff properly, and not resist it, and you know, and all that. It takes a really strong leadership, and Telefonica clearly have that, and that's why uh, why people like Javier and Blue Prism and and all the other Partners in that ecosystem have been able to come uh, together. Presumably, I'm I'm guessing here, Martin. You can you mm. can tell me whether I'm barking up the wrong tree or not, but that seems to me to come through very strongly in in what we've yeah. uncovered here.
0: No, I, I think you're right. And 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 when I look retrospectively at how things played out, um, first of all, there was very a very clear vision that the executive team um, and Javier. Uh, had put together. They knew what they wanted. They had their metrics figured out. They knew if we tackle the problem of average handling time in our B2C business, um, if we reduce complexity significantly in our B2B business, we're going to get very positive outcomes that are going to enable us to reduce our operating costs um, without any negative impact on customer satisfaction in fact quite the opposite very positive effect on customer satisfaction and on agent um, engagement agent satisfaction you know employee satisfaction so they had that very clear vision um, and set of metrics and then they worked with both ey and with accenture um, to put that into a program plan with that super aggressive time frame um, and and I think that's where the the benefit of partnering really shows. It's it, it it becomes crystal clear because there was always a vision, there was always a plan, very detailed plan. Of course, as you move along the journey, things change. You might discover something that you hadn't anticipated before and you have to flex but having a very clear plan that everyone's bought into with high quality people and high quality methodologies from in this case those those two fantastic systems integrators um they were able to keep the pace um believe me it was not a comfortable journey it -hmm. was highly challenging sometimes fractious long hours long weeks um but everyone believed in the mission you know everyone everyone bought into the vision everyone believed that it was attainable as a set of outcomes and everybody absolutely you know threw their whole weight to push the wheel along and to to make it happen so it is a team effort um you have to operate as a team you have to help each other out you know it's not it's not an us and them it can't if you have an us and them, you spend more time arguing about what you disagree on than figuring out collaboratively how to, how to move forward. Um, yeah. You know, so, so I think that was um, a huge credit to Telefonica in the first instance for having that, that clarity of thought, that vision and that determination, that absolute, you know, failure was not an option. It absolutely had to happen. And then also I take my hat off to, EY and Accenture, for them bringing their A team and really stretching the bounds of creativity and commitment, but ultimately making it happen. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, as an old saying, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and and it's finished, <laughs> you know, in terms of the first way, really, really well. But but trust me, it was, um, it, it, it was tough along the way, but we got it done.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, um, Martin, because Javier admitted in our interview that, of course, things haven't always been plain sailing. They never are with change programs of this size. In this clip, he talks about the three core principles that have kept Telefonica Spain on track, and starting, as you said, Rom, with buy-in right from the very top of the organization.
2: This is a very uh, transferable program in our company. So we need a clear leadership of our executive committee. We need resources, the dedicated resources, but it's not only resources. We need the, 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 the leadership of the executive committee. We need to, to have the end to end vision of the process. Next one, cultural change, Um, robotics, automation, and, and, and all these kinds of concepts sounds very well, but not everybody thinks that this is the way to doing the things. So we have, to make sure that our employees, our people feel that this is good for them. This is not only good for the results of the company. This is not a financial program. This is a program that needs to have a culture and change in our people. And the third one is to make understand the people that this is a journey. This is a continuing improvement program. We don't feel that we are in the end of the program. We feel that we are in, in, in a continuous way of doing the things and to to, to simplify the things.
1: Rom, I'm going to pull out a quote from that, from Javier. We have to make sure our employees, our people, feel that this is good for them. Now, obviously, we've touched on the culture side of things already, but let's just talk about that again and how often this is a core element of these stories, but especially when it comes to automation, isn't it? It really is like they go hand in hand.
3: I mean, well, I, I, I guess Martin deals with, with this topic all of the time, which is that if you are, um, if you're, paying cursory attention to you know mainstream media headlines when it comes to automation um although frankly we haven't read much of that recently have we it's all been about other things but um there are these kind of uh, dystopian ideas about how automation is is going to be a bit like the mining miners crisis in in the 1980s over here (laughs) okay so there's there's nothing all all that happens is a whole load of um honest-to-goodness kind of of salt-of-the-earth people lose their jobs. And obviously, it's not that at all. And um, it is about saying, look, actually, there's a bunch of stuff here we can do to remove um, time-consuming, tawdry, low-value tasks from people so that they can do things that are – spend much more time doing things that are much more valuable, i.e. helping customers. Um, However, you uh, often have organisations, particularly big ones – where you've got a lot of people who've been doing a lot of things uh, in the same way for a very long time, and you um, you have to overcome uh, those hurdles, you, and they are cultural hurdle hurdles, and they're not necessarily easy to overcome. And you have to encourage a certain uh, mental agility and adaptability within people themselves in order for these things to succeed. I don't know if that if that chimes uh, with your experiences with Telefonica, Martin.
0: No, it does. Um... Completely, um, and you're right. It, it's something that that we always have to factor into the conversations we have with our clients because um, when we look at um, we, we we have a lot of conversations about the future of work and what it's going to look mm-hmm. like, and and everyone knows exactly it has it has done for the last goodness knows how many hundreds of years we know that the nature of work is going to change um, the great thing about automation intelligent automation is to the point you made rom you know, we're, we're eliminating um, boring repetitive work which nobody gets any satisfaction from um, i learned a new phrase last week which uh, I, I love um, uh, that phrase is boredom errors People make boredom errors, you know, right. not deliberate they just They just get fed up with doing these things. But also, they are asked to handle the complexity um, that an organization has built up over a number of years in order to kind of hide that from the client. And And that's not what they signed up for. You know, if you're a contact center agent, you didn't sign up for knowing you know how to access 15 or 20 different telephonic systems to try and find out where a customer record is you know it's it's something that you you, you signed up to speak to people to solve problems um to collaborate uh you know uh, to, to put a smile on the customer's face um that's that's what that's why people do those those jobs um you know obviously also to earn a earn a living but you know, if, if you can make that um, agent experience or, or salesperson experience um, a positive one, then you're going to get more productivity from people and so on. Um, yeah. So the other thing is that 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 we're seeing a lot of a lot of new jobs created by this this kind of technology because if you're able to take away those boring mundane tasks and have have the system deal with them uh you you're freeing people's time up to become creative mm. um and to actually use their brain um, and that that's you know that is having a positive effect um telephonica have, have put this the principles of these principles into their plan right from the start um and they talk about cultural change and they talk about giving people these new skills they're not looking to get rid of people they're not looking um you know to replace people with with digital workers they're looking to replace tasks to move tasks from the person to the digital worker and give the person better things to do and that's a very high priority for Telefonica. and the the early feedback they're getting in terms of their employee um satisfaction surveys and so forth and anecdotal um is overwhelmingly positive uh, and people rather than feeling devalued they're actually feeling more valued now mm. uh, because they're being given more interesting things to do and they're being able to to do the things they signed up for and to do the things they enjoy and to do the things they're good at um, and that's got to be good that's got to be good. We, we talk a lot these days especially during these COVID times about people's mental health Uh, And I don't have any any scientific evidence for this yet, but I'd like to think that in some ways, moving these tasks or or recasting the mix of tasks as to who does what, um, you know, what tasks do digital workers do and what tasks do human workers do? I've got a feeling that that's going to be, that's going to have a more positive effect on people by and large. With regards to their their enjoyment of their work and subsequently their their mental health, I don't right. know. Bold claim, maybe, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know it just sounds sounds logical to me. Um, you know that's, um, but we'll, we'll see.
3: It seems yeah. to me as well. Just to just to add to that, um, by uh, liberate, you know, if you're saying right, we we can chop. I'm not sure what the st- the stats are telephonical wise but it's you know I think you you mentioned thirty percent of you know low value tasks have been sort of taken away and um if you're liberating your people thirty percent of their time to exercise their brains in creative ways to solve problems mm-hmm. um, for customers you're also liberating that creativity uh, on a mass kind of uh, foundational level um, in areas of Innovation and other things, where human creativity is always always going to win over. Doesn't matter how clever a robot is; it's always programmed. It's people that can innovate, and there's never been uh, a more critical thing than innovation now to mm. any any company, especially when it's dealing with challenges like pandemics, but also just purely competitive challenges. um yeah. Innovation um, is kind of necessary now. At um, extraordinary levels no no company can can afford to to rest on its laurels and assume that its market dominance will remain or 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 whatever um and innovation comes in the end from people bright ideas come from people now if you're saying actually do you know what you're going to spend 30 percent less time just fighting with systems and spending that time thinking instead then as a company overall you're going to be reaping real rewards you'd think and so um, maybe that's going to be a long-term thing. Maybe you don't really see that or you can't really measure that for a long time. But that's surely, I would imagine, an important part of it. And
1: of course, people if, who are doing that feel a lot better about their day. Yeah.
3: Um, free to do those things.
1: Rom, um, just to throw this one at you, how, how close do you think we are to kind of breaking through or, or knocking down this notion that automation takes away people's jobs? And do you think the pandemic is kind of moving us more quickly towards an acceptance a wider acceptance of automation as a technology i think i personally um and this is
3: just informed by you know all of the reporting we do and all of the conversations we've had i think we're kind of we're just about there i think it's it feels like a slightly anachronistic conversation now already um and that is because actually there are tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people potentially um most most of them taken down this journey by blue prism <laughs> who have uh, are in a position to remember what it was like who remember particularly if they work in things like contact centers who remember what it was like to sit there and say uh sorry uh, my the screen's just loading uh sorry my system's just crashed." what they're actually telling you is I'm trying to figure out which of like these 15 different things I need to patch into to, to try and answer really basic questions. They remember what that was like. And now they remember how much better it is. And they've also realized that they didn't lose their jobs, strangely enough. Um, we've you know, it's not just Telefonica that we've spoken to in this regard. It's other big companies, um, uh, other big telcos as well. They haven't reduced their workforces. They've just made their workforces better and happier. and I think that these now that that's not necessarily going to be true in every industry or every sector everywhere, um, but it's certainly I think going away that kind of conversation. Mm. That's yeah. my own impression anyway.
0: I, I'd agree with you, Rom, um, and I. I, I want to go back to your point about innovation because you you reminded me of of something that one of the senior leaders in Telefonica said to me about this program and what it meant and what our role was in helping them deliver it. And and it's a great, oh, well, I think it's a great quote, um, but it's a very evocative um, uh, example. Um, and they said for for us, for our digital transformation program, blue prism is the oxygen. And the oxygen in that a you make everything work. You know, you give us that that ability to get things done. But B, you give us the chance to breathe and think. And and I think that's that's a great way to describe the change, if you like, that that you can create. And um, you know, that oxygen for the digital transformation, I think, is is a, is a great way of describing what we do. Um, yeah. But your point about innovation is absolutely spot on. You know, one of Telefonica's guiding principles in its program. And again, this is this is public domain. You know, I, I actually saw this presented, um, and it's it's how I got involved with Telefonica in the first place. But you know, their their, their number one priority is always the customer experience, delivering the best customer experience, and and to, to have it to quote Javier again, you know, to take the complexity away from the customer make it easy for the customer to do what they want to do with you but their second layer was around creating the opportunity and the capability to innovate and you know innovation in the telco industry over the past 10 years it's a slow moving thing it can take 18 months to get a product from concept to market and that's not good enough the telco industry tells us that's not good enough they they need to get that from eighteen months down to eighteen days, and ultimately eighteen hours. You know, from from concept to realization. You know, to to um, uh, uh, to uh, activation. Um, that pace, uh, the a the ability to innovate, and b the ability to bring it to market quickly. That's not going to get done by having armies of people. Um, it's not going to de- get done by having rigid processes. That go back fifty years. It's a completely new mentality and a completely new uh, approach, a capability, but also mindset. Yeah. The company, you know, in the comp- We we hear companies talking about freeing the entrepreneur. You know, you don't have to 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 get your idea out there. You don't have to leave our company and go and set up on your own. You can be an entrepreneur inside. You know this this telco um and we're going to give you the capability to think create and then bring things to market we you know because we're going to be as nimble and, and and as as agile as you would be if you were in a startup and yeah. i think that's that's um that's a very going again to culture it's a very important cultural change um, that the big telco, you know, they have many, many very talented people that feel stifled and um, uh, are not able to achieve their, their potential. And what we're doing here is giving them some tools, but also a mindset to be able to do to achieve their potential to be the entrepreneur from within the telco. Yeah. You know, and I think that's profoundly important,
1: right? I need to wrap this section up there, guys. DigitalBulletin.com is where you can find the Telefonica Spain case study in its entirety, featuring interviews with Javier and Martin and EY as well. Of course, up next, we are moving on to content disarm and reconstruction technology, apparently the next big thing in enterprise security.
4: Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter.
1: Now, listener, if you head over to digitalbulletin.com, you can find an exclusive article from Glasswall's Luke Robertsa, on why content disarm and reconstruction technology is becoming a key layer of the security stack for many organisations. For this pod, I caught up with Luke to chat all things CDR, but I started off by asking him to tell us more about Glasswall.
4: Glasswall is a British-based cybersecurity company Uh, And we focus on, you know, protecting against the threat of malicious content inside digital documents. Uh, So in doing so, we, you know, we sit in a a category of cybersecurity called Content Disarm and Reconstruction, or CDR. Um, We're one of the leading providers, uh, mainly to the intelligence communities around the world. Um, so you know, not only do we, or we are a supplier to the five R's of intelligence, um, but we also do do supply to the private sector for businesses and industries world worldwide. Um, Glasswall's vision uh, statement, if you will, is you know, safety and integrity through trusted files, um, and a bit more just about like the company. You know, we we're still quite lean, you know, we act as a startup, despite the initial research and development beginning, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. Um, you know, we went to market about five or six years ago in, in the intelligence community. And then in the commercial space, about three or four years ago, you know, the product has been well received, um, it's been well validated. And uh, now we continue to, to add to our product offering. So we can provide, you know, more ways to consume our solution so we can get kind of a wider use within the market
1: now obviously Luke our listeners come from kind of a, a broad range of sectors and industries maybe for the benefit of the listener can you try and explain exactly what CDR technology is and, and what it delivers for enterprises
4: so I think an easy way Ben to explain to help understand you know what CDR is uh, is to first tell you what it's not so you know content disarm and reconstruction uh, does not attempt to detect malware or bad things inside a document. it has no concept of you know signatures or definitions of malware or, or malicious content or malicious actors in a file how it's different is that you know Glasswall cdr will rebuild a file to a state of known good so when we say a state of known good you know, any file type, for example, a PDF, will have a, a published specification. This is the structure of that document. So when we when I mean, our engine receives a file, we'll break it down you know to the binary version of that file and we'll put it back together according to the, the published specification of that doc, of the, of that document type. Um, so then the words like banan and disarm can come into play. And uh, what Glassful also does, which isn't really talked about in, or what Glassful CDR does, which is not talked about too much in the article, is, you know, in our solutions that we provide, we also offer a lot of risk management through a policy. So we allow users of our solution to calibrate the security, the level of security that they want, and align it with operations through that ability to, to manage their risk. So through a policy, you can say, you know, certain... Types of files. I don't want to enter my organization files with certain types of content in them. For example, you know, macros. You know, don't let it in. Or you can choose to you know sanitize, which is remove that types of functional- functionality within those in the document. Or if it's super critical that there's no impact to business continuity for a certain department for a certain type of file and a certain type of content, you can choose to to accept that risk and let it in. Um, we also offer organizations something which, you know, is otherwise not possible. There's an understanding of the types of documents and the content within those documents, which are being transferred in, in and out of your organization. So you can get some, what we call threat intelligence on, you know, who are the senders, who are the receivers of certain types of document, and also what content lives with, within those documents that are being transferred around the networks.
1: So it sounds like there are many kind of parts to this that maybe companies wouldn't have been able to do
4: before. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say so, Ben. Yeah.
1: Now we know that Gartner has picked out CDR as, as a best practice in one of its recent reports. How encouraging is that for a company that is kind of leading in this area?
4: Very much so. Um, it's definitely exciting news for us. Uh, you know, Gartner has a long track record of identifying emerging technologies and emerging best practices. So when they say that CDR is going to become a, a best practice over the next few years, you know, that's really encouraging for us, not just for us, you know, as a as a company, um, but for for companies worldwide. Uh, and, you know, in, in general, everyone's invested in in greater security. Um, and I think there's not much else out there that's proven to be as effective in dealing with malware as CDR has been glass wall, you know, genuinely, um, you know, using CDR technology are trying to make the world a safer place. So, you know, the fact that Garton has picked up on it and their proven track record means it's exciting for, for cyber security enthusiasts around the world.
1: (laughs) Obviously as threats become more sophisticated, how important is it that security infrastructures and, 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 you know, how security becomes more sophisticated as well. And CDR is kind of an example of that, isn't it?
4: Uh, definitely so. And I think, um, you yeah, know, this is an important point to touch on. If you look at a, a technology like antivirus, which has been around for 40 years, you know, it's very, very adept at stopping certain types of threats. But it can only stop things that it knows about. And as you said, you know, threats are evolving continuously. Um, they are now, you know, kind of sign- signatureless types of threats out there. And as the malware becomes more bespoke, CDR is even better positioned to stop against these types of threats um because it doesn't have that concept of bad things that it's looking for it rebuilds a file to a state of, of known good it requires a lot less you know we have to update our solution as file specifications change which is not too frequently um whereas a, a, a definition based uh, mechanism like antivirus is constantly having to play catch up uh with with the types of threats that are out there so i think as like you said as as they become a bit smarter um, and as the evolution of different types of threats continues to, to grow rapidly, you know, CDR is even more critical, um, in being established uh, as part of the security chain within any organization.
1: No, that's great. Luke. um, as I said, at in the intro, you know, you know, there's a, there's an article on digital authored by yourself and a very good one. May I say, um, which goes obviously into a lot more detail on this. Maybe, maybe can you give the listener a bit more insight into what, what they can expect to find in that piece?
4: Yeah, of course. Um, some of it we've touched on, which is you know what is CDR and why 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 do companies need CDR? Um, a few other interesting things that it covers. Uh, it covers the Gartner the Gartner piece as well and how Gartner kind of identifies it as becoming mainstream over the next few years. It also talks a little bit around collaboration within the industry. You know, there's a number of CDR um, players who are more interested in building the market awareness than they are with competing with each other. So there's a lot of collaboration going on to kind of build market adoption, uh, which is, again, not just important for us, but for for everyone in the industry. Um, And it talks a bit about the importance of business continuity when implementing security measures. So the, the high value that a company gets in allowing their staff to focus on their job and not have to worry about whether the documents they've received are safe to interact with. Um, you know, there's a huge, huge, huge value to that um, and reduced cost in having an unobtrusive solution like Glasswall CDR in place so that when a document arrives at a user, um, you know, they don't have to worry about whether it's, it's safe to open it or safe to run it or not, they can just go ahead and focus on on doing their job.
1: And finally, Luke really, let's throw it forward to the, to the future. And it sounds like a pretty exciting time to be involved in this area of cybersecurity, for sure. What do you think the future holds, not just for CDR, but for, for glass wall as a company?
4: I believe that CDR, you know, has to become a more known technology within the cybersecurity industry. You know, when you speak to a lot of cyber security experts now, the majority don't know what content disarming reconstruction is. Um, and I believe within a few years from now. It will be a very well-known segment of SABA uh, and a very important consideration to any security team when talking about the topic of document security. Um, you know, going back to, to Gartner's prediction, I'm full, fully confident that their prediction of CDR becoming mainstream is definitely happening now as we speak, um, and as as the next few few years kind of unfold, uh, I do expect it to become a you know a mainstream. Um, consideration within cyber security and my hope obviously for glasswall is that we will remain a, a strong contender and a, a strong contributor to the driving adoption of cdr technology
1: thank you to luke for giving us his insights there and as i said his thought leadership article is available both in the latest edition of the digital bulletin magazine and on digitalbulletin.com Martin and Rom are still with me and Martin, we want to bend your ear a bit more on all things, Blue Prism RPA and automation, if that's okay. First of all, what's life like at Blue Prism at the moment? We know there's so much going on in this field and Blue Prism is right kind of in the middle of it. It must be a kind of really busy, but exciting time.
0: It's exactly that it's busy and exciting. Um, I think we're, we're now, um, at a stage of maturity, in terms of the technology, you know, three, four, five years ago, clients were asking, "Is is this something that's uh, a five minute wonder, or or um, does RPA and and extending that into intelligent automation does it actually have a place uh, in in helping us uh, achieve what we want to achieve?" And and I think we're we're over that now. And um, now almost every company is looking at what is my automation strategy to supplement all my other strategies. So we're seeing that. Um, The other other thing I think, uh, the difference that I'm seeing now is the conversations that we're having um, with our customers are not about what can I automate. They are about I need to transform what's the role of automation, intelligent automation in that. So it's a subtle difference, but it's a kind of before, say, two, three years ago, many of the conversations were, you know, I need to automate upwards and, and hopefully get some transformational outcome. Now, it's very much the other transformation is something I am absolutely committed to do. Um, what is the role of automation and how, how can I best use automation to achieve those outcomes? So it's uh, it's a very different set of, of conversations we're having now. Um, and um you know, still very interesting and very challenging conversations. You know, still a lot of um, uh, a lot of barriers being broken and a lot of uh, new innovation that's coming coming out from that. Um, but, uh, yeah, fascinating times, really super busy. Um, we're in our quiet period, so I can't talk about numbers and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, we're, we are we, we feel we're in a very strong position. Um, You know, our business is built on the backs of our fantastic clients who are doing some incredible things. You heard about Telefonica and there are many others. Um, And also um, working with our with our partners, um, the advisory firms and the systems integrators and then the technology platforms, um, you know, where we collaborate with AI vendors and machine learning vendors and so forth. Um, You know, there's so much happening. Um, and it's just a very, very exciting time, um, to, to be involved in it.
1: Rom, obviously we at Digital Bulletin, we we cover a a very broad kind of range of industries and technologies, but we keep coming back to automation, don't we? There's definitely a trend here. It appears like right now with automation transformations, automation transformations. That is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, well, Martin's just summarized that very neatly is that
3: automation is now considered a, you know, a. A, a central cog in the wheel of trans, in the, in the cog in the wheel of transfer I, I don't know <laughs> what, what I'm coming, but you you know what I mean. If if you're going to build a transformation engine, <laughs> then the fuel, the oxygen, as Martin <laughs> calls it, it's a uh,
0: good, good save, Rob. Good save.
3: <laughs> is, is yeah, I don't know. that was that was stretched to the point. <laughs> actually painful but no the the point is automation is is you know it's it's a linchpin um it's difficult to imagine how you can change uh particularly if you're a large organization how you can change uh, and transform fundamentally without automation because the benefits of automation are so clear and i i suppose now i don't know if this is true or not but if you're sitting there and you're you're a cio and you're going "Well, well i need to I need to transform. Um, let's do a whole bunch of this technology stuff and then try and automate processes as part of that. You're going to end up trying to retrofit an awful lot of stuff. You'll, you you instantly build yourself this technical debt. So what people are doing is saying, well, no, automation is is essential. Anything else we do, we need to make sure that that's going to be something we can apply and do in, in a relatively seamless way way you know the the purpose is to simplify so it has to be in there at the beginning i guess um yeah. but yeah no it's um it, it it is as you say
1: pretty much part of uh every everything we write more or less now it, it yeah it definitely is certainly from our perspective it seems to be a topic i keep going back to um in the work that i'm i'm doing at the moment martin on a final point though um this industry and the terminology around it we are moving from and this applies specifically to Prism. We are moving from RPA to kind of intelligent automation. And that is both kind of exciting and almost limitless in what can be achieved. Well, maybe try and kind of tell the listener what intelligent automation really kind of means and what the potential is.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you're right. You know, I, I can't remember the last time I used the phrase RPA. Yeah. Um, although it might've been earlier in this bulletin but, <laughs> but, but by and large you know we don't talk to clients about rpa you know that's it's just a um a technology set that's part of a bigger um a bigger capability uh which is intelligent automation intelligent automation is the collaboration of um if you know, digital automation um plus ai machine learning you can almost imagine it as the digital worker has a body of arms and legs and will do whatever you tell it to do, but it doesn't think for itself, doesn't have a brain. You have to teach it what to do. Um, and that's how you make RPA work is you teach the digital worker what to do, when to do it, how to do it, how to deal with exceptions and so forth. And it goes away and does it. But when you add to that, let's call it a, a, a dumb automation um, uh, character, mm-hmm. when you add to that skills, and those might be skills to read, skills to um, reason, uh, you know. And and so those technologies of AI, machine learning, OCR, other other capabilities. What you create is is a character that has the ability to do things, um, to do many more things. Um, again, in a very structured. Uh, controlled way with all of the controls around it you know we're, we're not into the fully sentient um, computer um, but what you have is is a, a much more powerful capability you can plug into your business um, and, uh, and and use that to to get more efficiency to drive greater levels of automation um, and so on so that's that's really how to think of the intelligent digital worker, um, that's it really.
1: Yeah. Well, Martin, it's been great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And some, um, some real kind of true insights right from the middle of the industry, right there for you listener. Um, as usual, Rom, thanks you, to you as well for your insights from outside of the industry. Thanks. Thanks me to, to you as well. Thank you. And we, for you too listener a big thanks and some advice to go and read tech for good issue four which hit the virtual shelves last week and of course to refer back to digitalbulletin.com where you can find a range of news and views from the world of enterprise tech as for the pod we'll catch you next month bye-bye
4: that was the digital bulletin podcast brought to you by bulletin media Listen and subscribe to our range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.